by Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast. This is your host, Logan Anderson, as you just heard the guy with the big voice say. And we have a great guest for you today. But before we bring on Alex Ronsley from SportscasterLife.com, a junior hockey announcer in Canada, and uh, before I do that, I just want to take one quick second to remind everyone to go online on iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It helps us move up the up the rankings, so to speak, in iTunes and help more people be exposed to the podcast. So if you like the podcast, go ahead and give us a rating or a review. If you don't, well, please don't. <laughs> but anyway, that's enough of that out of the way. We are joined by Alex Ronsley, the owner of Sportscasters Life, a hockey broadcaster in Canada, our first international uh, guest here on the podcast. And Alex, how are you doing today? I'm well. If I'm the first uh, international broad uh, or international guest, I think uh, we're we're probably hitting a couple of uh, different nationalities here because born and raised in Australia, joining you from Canada, so uh, we got the, the the trinity of nations on the podcast here today. Yeah, we are going to have much more. Um, dots lit up on the Google Analytics on the map than what we usually do. So, <laughs> um, I guess what I like to do with everybody uh, before we get into anything else is just give you an opportunity to give us the Cliff Notes version of how you got into sports casting. What was your first break? What gave you the itch? I fell more or less backwards into sports casting. My whole background is on the technical side of things. I, I excelled in high school and eventually went to um, college for broadcast television production, uh, things like video editing, uh, stage lighting, audio, things like that. So so that was my my main focus. And, and after a couple of years in school, uh, I was able to uh, move up to a town called Prince George, which is uh, pretty much right in the middle of uh, British Columbia, Canada. And I started working at a TV station there. I was responsible uh, and in charge of uh, basically everything that, that went on the station ran through me at some point in the chain uh, before it went out to, to the audience. And my main focus and my main responsibility was uh, directing the, the midday news and the evening news on the station as well uh, and, and helping marshal resources uh, for the rest of the programs uh, on the station uh, that we produced live uh, as well. And the, the guy that I ended up replacing, I moved up there in January 2007, and the guy that I ended up replacing who was leaving the station, he trained me, uh, and he was involved in junior hockey in Prince George, and, and an opportunity came up in uh, February to uh, broadcast for a visiting team, which wasn't bringing a broadcaster like they usually did. And he kind of made all the connections and set me up and, and it was, everything was kind of firmed up on a, on a Thursday. The game was on a Friday. So I had basically 24 hours to, to prep and as best I could, not really knowing what prep was at that stage uh, and, and, you know, record a couple of interviews. So I had some intermission breaks and, Try to, to, to do the best I could. I could. So uh, I finished work at uh, 6 o'clock. I didn't have a car at that point, uh, and I was in a suit. So I ran uh, the, oh, I'd probably say 15 to 20 blocks uh, in Prince George in January. It was probably about minus 10 or minus 15 degrees uh, into the uh, Prince George Coliseum and, and broadcast a hockey game. And, and to be completely Honest, I don't really remember too much about it. It was a Prince George, uh, Spruce Kings, Williams, uh, William Lake, uh, Williams Lake Timberwolves broadcast, and uh, don't remember too much about it. I do know that there was a uh, one of those kind of two hundred foot goals uh, that skipped on the goaltender, and 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 one of those kind of highlight reel goals for all the wrong reasons, uh, with the Williams Lake goaltender landing that one in. So aside from that, I don't really remember too much about the the, the night or the game, uh, and that was kind of my my first foray into sports casting and. As I'm sure many who are in this industry can relate to, it's 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 an addiction. You get bitten by it, and, and from there on, I, you know, tried to get some opportunities to to get more chances to get on air, and and that's um, you know, thankfully and luckily developed into a bit of a career. And you were able to climb the ranks, so to speak, where you were for several years the broadcaster for the Powell River Kings. I used to always read that wrong. I thought it was 
the Powell River Kings, not the Powell you're River not the Kings. Only one. So you're, that- you're not the only one. In <laughs> fact, I when I applied for the job, uh, I I made that exact same mistake. Uh, I, I said I my the subject on the the email that I sent was River Kings Broadcasting. Uh, and I realized I'd made it a couple of days. I'd made that mistake a couple of days after I'd sent the email. Um, so every kind of subsequent email, I made sure it was changed in the subject heading to, to try and quell that mistake. But I uh, know you're not the only one uh, and a lesson that learned there to, to make sure you know the team name of, of who you're applying for a job for. So that give us the story on how you ended up working for them from your first stop. So yeah, Prince George uh, was fantastic. Uh, I was up there for for almost five years. I left in uh, uh, the start of September uh, 2011. So I was up there for uh, four years, nine months or so. And the the longer I was up there, you know, the more opportunities I had to get, um, you know, into sports casting. I, I did some indoor soccer uh, for a season, uh, which is uh, which was a lot of fun and very hockey esque. I mean, it was played on a uh, artificial turf covered uh, hockey rink, so uh, could could relate a lot to that. Got a chance to travel through Western Canada, uh, Canada, and down into uh, the United States as well. And then uh, did some major midget hockey, uh, fifteen to seventeen year olds for a season and a half, and that really confirmed to me that. Yeah, this is what I want to do, and and the uh, the grip, I suppose, of sports casting was was much more uh, intense, and 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 my focus was was there uh, versus perhaps my my day job, which was directing news. Uh, so uh, an opportunity came up in the summer. Uh, I got wind on, on Twitter of uh, Power of His Broadcaster uh, moving to a different team uh, in the league, and and there was an opportunity that became available, and and I emailed the coach and uh, heard back and said, oh, okay, we're going to make. Some some, some decisions over the next couple of weeks. And then after that, I, I didn't hear a thing. Uh, and, and I had considered myself out of the running. Uh, I didn't have a whole ton of experience. Uh, obviously, I sounded a little bit different than uh, than most of, of the other broadcasters, having, having been born and raised in Australia. So I just figured it wasn't going to happen. And I was uh, gearing up to, to do another ratings period uh, in Prince George, which kicked off uh, in uh, late September. So that was kind of where my focus was. And in talking with a couple of other guys who had applied for the job, I realized it was still open and still they hadn't made a, a move and hadn't made a hire. And uh, I, I got quite aggressive with it, and I was emailing, I was calling, I was following up, and, and ended up uh, coming down to Powell River uh, two, uh, two and a half, three weeks before the season started, and used that time to kind of acclimate uh, to the team, acclimate to the town, and, and get set for a home opener uh, September 23rd, 2011, uh, against the Nanaimo Clippers, a, a bit of division rival with a lot of uh, history between the two teams, and uh, Powell River getting it done in double overtime. Matthew Scarth, the rookie, scoring the opening goal of the season, scored the OT winner as well in a 3-2 decision in that second extra session, and we had a, a fight, we had a pane of glass, uh, we had the rookie scoring a pair, and uh, all in all, it was a, a pretty good game. So, uh, very fortunate to, to, to get to Powell River, and it was all about just uh, you know networking through social media, and obviously... Uh, being persistent in the hiring process as well and, and thinking I was out of it and seeing an opportunity and, and, and forcing my way in. You bring up a couple interesting things there that I want to follow up on. First of all, the networking through social media and the following up on uh, on your job application. Did you use any creative methods uh, in your follow-up or were you just so persistent that eventually they had to take your call slash email? Probably a little bit of, of, of both. I mean, I followed up with an email. I mean, I think you can really, I think following up is, is definitely an art form. And it's one that I I consider myself good at, but I don't think I've mastered. And I think every situation is different. I mean, I, I got wind that they hadn't made a hiring decision yet after I hadn't heard anything for about three weeks. Um, you know, so so I, I sent an email and then I, I followed up with the second email and that's when I got the contact and all of a sudden I was on a phone call basis um, with with the head coach and general manager who was hiring for the position. So that kind of got my, my foot in the door and that's a little bit of, of persistence there. But for me, it was about recognizing and, and communicating my strengths. And it was about acknowledging what I could do for the team and what they didn't have already. And in my particular situation, it was a case of, 
um, you know, a very small community-owned team, a very small staff, and they needed somebody who could be, you know, the jack of all trades and who could contribute in in multiple areas. And that played r- really nicely into my hand. I mentioned off the top that you know, I'm, I'm my whole background and my whole training formally is in in production, is in video production, uh, live broadcasting production, uh, audio, lighting, technical stuff. And, and it's that kind of understanding that I really think helped because instead of just coming back to them and say, hey, I want to be your announcer, I want to call games, I want to do this, I was able to come to them and say, hey, I can produce YouTube videos, I can produce podcasts, I can do this, I can improve your game day experience with lighting. And it was all those things that I was able to highlight. So it was about recognizing what the situation was, um, you know, the fact that the team was looking for more than just a guy to come in and call 60 games and, and write a few articles on online and, and, and really cater to that and push the fact that, you know, I'm the guy that can, can do it all. Because I knew on face value and I knew a few of the other guys who were applying for the position, I knew if it was just a broadcasting position and they were just going to hire a broadcaster, I didn't stand a chance in hell. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the sound. I didn't have the voice. Um, you know, I, I didn't have that, uh, that that background that immediately says, boom, he knows hockey. Um, so I had to win it on other things, um, you know, and, and over the years, I've been able to gather a little bit of that, that experience. But it was about recognizing the opportunity that was in front of me uh, and recognizing what they were after uh, and trying to best express how I was the best person for that job. You mentioned earlier about the accent being unusual, and anybody listening right now can probably tell that. A combination of Canadian and Australian. Has that ever mm-hmm. been a hindrance as far as applying for jobs, or has it been? Uh, has it helped you maybe since it stands out? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not able to say if it's been a hindrance. Uh, I've applied for a few jobs at higher levels and haven't received callbacks. Um, so that could be, could be a reason why. Um, it's certainly interesting. Uh, and that's other people kind of telling me that, um, you know, not me trying to big note myself or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, born and raised in Australia for uh, 15 years, moved across to Canada in uh, 2002. So, uh, this summer, uh, in July will have been uh, in Canada as as long as I lived in Australia uh, and currently hold dual citizenship as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is what it is, and it's um, it's something that I, I don't really consider and I don't think too much about. And and I think of it, um, you know, when it, do, it does kind of crop up in the same way that I would think of, uh, you know, a lisp or or some sort of other. Uh, and I'm going to use this term, it's not necessarily the right term to use, but, uh, but another sort of speech impediment or another speech peculiarity. Um, you know, everybody has their own sound, and in many cases, you can't control that. I mean, if somebody pronounces letters a little bit differently, if they have a lisp, if they, um, you know, have some sort of other speech impediment, it's something that nine times out of ten, they can't control. My voice is my voice, and it is what it is. And I've had a few people approach me and say, oh, you shouldn't say that word, or oh, you need to lose the accent. Uh, and, and I disagree. I mean, uh, I am what I am and, and the voice is what it is. And I mean, uh, sports casting is such a subjective medium and it's such a, a, a um, you know, there's no right way to do it that I, the voice is what it is. And, and it's not something that I give too much time to. I've never considered myself uh, an Australian play-by-play announcer you know I don't come on the air and say oh g'day everybody crikey what a game we got for you tonight in the ice hockey you know and I don't turn it up you know I'm not trying to be Steve Irwin or or anybody out there Um, I'm I'm a play-by-play announcer who does hockey who was born in Australia and my voice at the end of the day is is no different to you know, a guy like Mike Emmerich, who's got a very iconic voice or, you know, other, uh, you know, iconic voices through history. Um, you know, my voice, I'm not trying to say my voice is iconic, but they're all unique. They all have their own characteristics. And it's the same for everybody who who calls uh, who, who calls games. They all do it a little bit differently. So never found it to be a hindrance. It's a nice conversation starter. If anything, I had a few people call into the radio station when I first got hired back in 2011, asking me where I was from. And I usually get uh, New Zealander. I usually get South African or English. Uh, this person thought I was Egyptian, uh, and I'm not quite sure what an Egyptian accent sounds like, but uh, they were apparently pretty convinced. So uh, it, it is what it is, and I call the games how I call them, and um, it, it's up to fans and it's up to employers, I guess, to decide whether it's an accent or, or a hindrance. So how did you 
kind of develop the passion for hockey being from Australia in your formative years when you usually develop your passion for sports. I know Mm -hmm. in my case, for example, I love baseball and basketball. I didn't really play much else. How did you develop that passion? Obviously, you can learn the rules by reading and just watching it, but where did Mm -hmm. you develop that love and that passion? I think it it just came from being immersed in it and being exposed to it. You know, my my first live hockey game was early two thousand three in Nanaimo, and it was between two teams that I would go on to to cover uh, from an opposing team standpoint uh, in in the league that I worked in for five seasons uh, between two thousand eleven and, and two thousand sixteen. And um, you know, it was it was just a case of, of finding something that I thought was really, really cool uh, in terms of being able to, I guess, pick everything up. And, and as you said, develop that passion for it. I was able to, to relate very easily to it. And I was able to relate hockey to uh, sports that I, I developed that passion for as a kid, as you were talking about for you, it was baseball and basketball for me, you know, it was cricket and Australian rules football. I mean, cricket doesn't necessarily have many parallels with hockey, um, but Australian rules football really does. And I mean, they're obviously very different sports. One played on a smaller sheet of ice with a puck and skates and a stick. The other uh, minimal equipment on a massive grass oval with, with a ball and, and, and cleats. But there are a lot of similarities. You know, the, the ball movement in Australian rules football is very similar to the puck movement in hockey. It can move laterally, it can move forward, it can move back. The speed and the physicality are very, very similar. There's a lot of hitting, there's a lot of hip checks, things like that. Um, you know, the, the goal, the, the strategy in terms of, uh, you know, men on either side of the ice, uh, you know, trying to overload uh, is is represented in football as well. So I was able to, as I picked up the rules, relate a lot of things to Australian rules football. And it took me a while. Like it took me, you know, probably a good six months of watching hockey when I first moved to Canada to to realize what offside and icing were and, and a few of the more uh, peculiar uh, rules uh, surrounding uh, surrounding hockey, but uh, once I got it, it was a passion. And I think uh, from broadcasting it, the passion lies more for me with um, you know the call of the game and and broadcasting the sport as opposed to being a fan. Um, you know, I don't necessarily I don't have a favorite NHL team, one that I support religiously, like many people do who grew up with the sport. Um, you know, for me, it's about you know, seeing a good game, uh, executing a good broadcast and, and, and providing a little bit of uh, entertainment and, and information for people who are watching or listening. Just out of curiosity, how, what kind of a skater are you? Have you ever uh, picked up a stick and played in some pickup hockey games or... Or anything oh like yeah, that? I'm 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 pretty good. Like I'm I'm pretty awesome. Um, I had a chance to like make it. the NHL, but uh, but this didn't. No, I'm I'm fairly average. Um, I didn't really start skating until I went up to Prince George, uh, and the the sports anchor at the station I was working at, uh, he dragged me out to his group, which was uh, exclusively guys over fifty. Um, and there were a few over 50 guys, uh, there were a few over 60 guys, and there were a couple of 80-plus guys as well. Um, so I was able to kind of pick up there. They were great with me. The, you know, They kind of fed me pucks in front of the net, and uh, it took me about three or four weeks to score my first goal. It was on a breakaway, and they all just kind of peeled off on the back check and, and let me kind of go in there. So they were great. You know, I, I haven't played this winter uh, just due to other commitments and whatnot, but uh, I always try to get out a few times a year. And, um, you know, I, I, can, I can get up and down the ice. Uh, I, I'm just just starting on skating backwards, but uh, there's there's no no rep hockey or no pro hockey in my future. <laughs> okay, well that's a little off topic, but so one of the things following your career on SportsCastersLife.com a little bit, I enjoy reading your stuff and what you do. But I know you recently left sportscasting after being the voice of the Powell River Kings. Uh, from 2011 to 2016. How difficult was that to do, and what were the factors that went into that decision? Yeah, incredibly difficult, uh, and something that I mulled over for for a very long time. Um, it was probably a, a, a casual thought in the back of my mind um, in, in about October, uh, October, November 2015. I, I started the 2015-2016 season um, with camp in August and then the schedule in September. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of once October, November sort of rolled around, I had those thoughts in the back of my head that uh, I may want to kind of take a break 
um, and, and kind of step away. Uh, and there are a lot of factors that that were contributing uh, to that. Uh, some of them, you know, I, I've spoken on, and, and some of them I haven't. Um, but but it all just kind of came down to to enjoyment. And, and as the season went on, it was you know kind of dragged into to January, February, and, and the team I was with was was very very successful, having a fantastic year. And uh, you know there there were a few few things going on that just kind of made me uh, question uh, everything that was kind of going on and and what I was doing uh, through the year and, and whatnot. And it just came down to to enjoyment and honoring what I told the team uh, when they hired me. When when the team hired me in in 2011, I told them, you know, they, they asked, you know, oh, what's your you know what's your five year goal? What's your ten ten year goal? All those those standard interview questions. And uh, you know, I don't necessarily have five or ten year goals. Um, I, I try to live in the moment if I can, and it's all about um, you know being 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 happy and and having having a level of enjoyment and and I told them that I'll I'll do the job until it's no longer challenging or it's no longer fun uh and and one of those criteria uh got ticked in, in that 2015-2016 season and um you know it it was it was an incredibly difficult decision to make and and I sat on it after the season you know the the team got eliminated in the second round of the playoffs so towards the end of March and it uh, I I sat on it until um, about the end of April, uh, maybe the, 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 the last week of April, I finally kind of made my decision and, and, and ultimately decided just, just to take a bit of a pause away. And it, it wasn't a situation where I, I fell out of love with broadcasting anymore. It wasn't a situation where I, I don't want to broadcast anymore. That's, that's far from the truth. Uh, and in fact, as we talk, uh, last night I did back to back hockey games for a provincial championship, uh, which was a lot of fun. And, uh, but it was just a case of, um, you know, I had to kind of pause. I had to step away and, and just, um, you know, reevaluate and things like that. And, and that's kind of what it was. And I never really considered it, you know, in a way that, you know, I don't have another job lined up or whatnot. Uh, for, for me, sports casting is a side hustle at the moment. You know, I still have a full-time job. Um, you know, I, I still work during the week and sports casting was, was something extra and, and that definitely contributed to it. And I mean, everyone who does sports casting, if you're not right now, you have at the past, you know, it's, it's a side thing. So you're working 40 hours a week and then you got to go call games on weekends or in nights and stuff. I mean, my situation is far from unique, but, uh, it was just, a the time for me to take a pause and, take a bit of a break and the Kings uh, have hired a, a great new broadcaster this year and Craig Bolsherman, who's doing a fantastic job with the team and, and the fans are, are continuing uh, to enjoy uh, some really good hockey, uh, both home and away. So for me, it was, it was just something that I didn't want to make a rash decision in, in October, November if, when I was kind of having a couple of thoughts and it just came down to, to making the right decision that I could uh, at the time. And, and it's not been until the last I'd say three or four weeks where I've really missed broadcasting. I uh, really missed being on air. It's the first time in about uh, 10 or 11 years that I haven't been involved in, in live production dating back to the, the TV station uh, when I was working there producing live news and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, got a chance to do a provincial championship uh, in uh, last night as we're talking here uh, towards the end of March and then uh, having an opportunity to do a national championship at the end of April as well. And, and we'll kind of, tick something off uh, my my sports casting list and get a chance to call a game on my birthday up in Prince George, which will be a lot of fun. So, um, you know, it's it's still very much a passion. It's still very much an interest and it's still very much a career for me. It's just uh, taken a bit of a pause and uh, who knows what next year holds, who knows what five years down the road holds. Um, it, it is what it is and I just kind of take it one day at a time. So you mentioned you've picked up some freelance gigs and I don't know your geography and population of your area as well as I probably should, but I, I believe it's pretty isolated with not a whole lot necessarily around it. How were you able to find freelance opportunities when I'm sure there wasn't a whole lot of them around in your backyard? Yeah, Powell River is a town of um, you know about twelve, thirteen thousand people. Uh, when you factor in some of the surrounding areas, it it reaches upwards of about eighteen thousand. Uh, but what makes Powell River unique is, despite the fact it's on the Canadian mainland, uh, it is completely isolated um, from from any other city via road. The only way to access it is by ferry or by flying into uh, to Powell River Airport. So um, that is both of 
good positive and a good negative as well. Um, it, it's a case of, you know, a lot of the riffraff and a lot of the, the transient population, I suppose, that you would see in major cities and, and more connected cities. You don't have that here. Um, but at the end of the day, you've, you've really <laughs> you got to make enough money to, to jump on a ferry, which isn't cheap, um, to be able to get out. So it can be a little bit claustrophobic. But in terms of freelance opportunities, I mean, there, there isn't a whole lot. The the Kings, the, the team that I was with, uh, they're the main main drawer in town and, and really the only draw that, that is big enough really to warrant uh, a broadcast. Uh, the radio opportunities here uh, aren't plentiful. There's only one commercial station and I actually worked for them for about 18 months um, a, a while ago. Um, you know, so they're, they're kind of around, but they don't do a whole ton of sports coverage. There's a community station, but they don't do much sports coverage um, either outside of the, the work that we did with them a couple of years ago. So uh, about finding freelance opportunities comes back to networking. Um, you know, the, the provincial championships that I just did, uh, the, the two people who were the head of the organizing committee, one of them I used to work for, uh, and the other uh, owns the uh, place where I do my investments and financial management. Um, so it's a small town like that, and you can make connections pretty uh, pretty easily. And, and in being the voice of the Kings for five years and being a focal point, uh, the team being a focal point of the community and, and being the, the voice of that franchise for a while, um, you know, I got a chance to meet a lot of people and, and, you know, I have a chance to MC a lot of events through the year. And when broadcasting pops up, um, you know, I, I jump at it. So the provincials were done that way. The nationals that I do in April, uh, they're being hosted by the team I worked for in Prince George for, for a season and a half. So I've kept in touch with them, helped update their website throughout the years and, and maintained a connection with them. And I'm excited to go back up and call some games uh, and hopefully a national championship for a Prince George team. So those are the, the, the ways to do it. It's primarily networking and, and just taking advantage of opportunities when they come up. I mean, the provincials weren't planning on being broadcast uh, on, on YouTube and uh, it was a pitch that I made to them and it wasn't going to cost them anything because I've got my own gear and and it was on going to be on a free platform uh, using YouTube and they jumped at it and it was a really good response uh, for the gold medal game between Port Moody and uh, the Burnaby Winter Club, two uh, teams in the Vancouver area, the, the greater Vancouver area. Um, one kid who'd been airlifted out to hospital due to injury earlier on in the tournament was watching from his hospital bed and was able to kind of connect with his team that way as they won a, a provincial championship. So, um, you know, that was kind of a cool thing. It was, it, it all came from just a, Hey, do you want me to call this game? Do you want me to broadcast this? And, um, you know, creating my own freelance opportunity from that way. So did you sell your own sponsors for that provincial championship game? Since you said it was a free opportunity, Mm-hmm. And you, there was no charge for them. Did you sell your own sponsors? We we didn't run sponsors. This was purely a, a case of um, you know me volunteering my time. Um, it was uh, kind of brought up somewhat selfishly from my my point. You know, having not called a game uh, in twelve months, I wanted to to shake off a little bit of rust uh, ahead of the national championship in April to to make sure that I could still call hockey. Um, you know, and it went went relatively well. Some stuff to work on, but um, pleasantly surprised. Uh, but there are a lot of sponsors from the tournament that uh, that they are able to give some some extra value to, which was nice, and we were treated really nicely by the organizing committee as well. So uh, it was a case of uh, I was happy to, to volunteer my time and uh, my resources in order to make that happen for the team in the tournament. So I'm reading between the lines a little bit, and you could tell me if I'm off base or anything, but I have a good friend who was in a similar level of, or is your is the Powell River Kings League a Tier 2 team? Uh, yeah, Junior A, yeah, Tier 2. Yeah. Okay, so I have a friend who covered a tier two team in South Dakota, and he had a lot of issues with ownership and management trying to micromanage the broadcast. And uh, for example, they were last in the league in in PowerPoints uh, or power play goals, sorry, mm-hmm. and uh, penalty kill. They were just not a very good team. And that's obviously a relevant stat. He brought it up. He was not overly negative, but when they when he brought up negative or stats that could be misconstrued as negative, they would get mad at him. And I don't know if that was your issue or not, but how did you deal? I'm sure you've had some difficult management situations with, uh, you know, people running these small teams. Um, I guess, what would your thoughts be on that situation? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the the team that I worked for in Powell River, uh, it was a very small staff. I mean, the head coach and general manager, 
uh, had uh, one or two assistant coaches throughout his time. Um, you know, there was a small board of directors. There was a marketing coordinator. Uh, there were a couple of training staff uh, for the players, equipment managers, things like that. And there was just me. Um, so it was it was a very small staff, uh, and it was a, a case of everyone kind of had to, to do multiple things. But uh, in terms of, uh, I guess, feedback on the broadcast, the coach that I worked for w- was very old school. Um, and he had a certain way of, of how he wanted to go about things. He had a certain way of... Uh, things that he wanted to, to do and things that he wanted me to do and made me uh, realize in, in no uncertain terms when I kind of stepped, you know, outside the line and, and he was very good at communicating, you know, why uh, he, he wanted me to do certain things. Uh, in terms of micromanagement, I, I didn't feel that at all. I mean, I had uh, an immense level of trust uh, that I'd earned over the years. I mean, I, I had to earn it. The, the first year was a little bit rough, but after that, um, you know, I, I felt that I earned earned my trust and, and earned leeway on the broadcast. And, and I was always told that, you know, I could tell the truth. And if I could back it up uh, with stats, then, um, you know, that was fine. You know, I never went out there to, to, to slag any team, to, to, to try to downtread any team, whether it was mine, the opposition, the officials, anything like that. You know, I'm, I'm a guy who's, you know, never played the game at a particularly high level. And, and who am I to judge? I can only kind of call what I see. But at the same time, the news background in me says, if I can prove something and if I can show you, um, you know, then then I'm allowed to say it. I mean, it's not me saying it. It's me uh, interpreting the stats. It's me interpreting the numbers. And it's me showcasing, you know, why, you know, A equals B equals C. And uh, from a management perspective, uh, there was some trust there. I I got told many times, as I said, um, you know, to, to reel it in or to do something different or to not do something again. Um, but it was all, uh, from a vantage point of, 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 you know, conveying a message. It was all from a vantage point of, uh, you know, improving the overall broadcast. Uh, and, and it was all good feedback and it was all stuff that I, that I use on, on a game by game basis still today. So, uh, I never really had an issue with micromanagement. Um, you know, just a case of, of doing what, you know, my boss wanted me to do, uh, at the same time calling the game that I wanted to call. And, you know, there was some stuff he didn't like, but he realized that I, I was able to back it up. And on the flip side, there was some stuff that uh, he said that I didn't like. Um, but, you know, I went along with it because I, I could see the reasoning behind it and I understood the reasoning behind it uh, as well. So it's very much a trade. I mean, I think if you're, it comes down to trust and it comes down to respect. And I think if both those things are in place, there's a lot of leeway that you can get with that. And there's a lot of, uh, I guess, brownie points you can burn when you do say something that's maybe a little bit off base. Um, you know, you, you can spend a few of those brownie points and still be in good standing. Let's put you in a hypothetical situation here and just say, say you worked for a team where the coach said, I want no negative comments, no negative anything. Would you mm-hmm. do it? Would you play along or would it be worth your credibility to walk away and do, or just do it anyway and see what the consequences are? Yeah, probably a little bit of um, the first one and the third one there. I mean, I'm I can be uh, very stubborn uh, at points, and particularly when I think I'm right. Um, you know, so so if that was the message from the coaching staff, there'd be a big discussion before I even went on the air, um, and there'd, there'd be a big situation where you know I'm not going to wear rose-colored glasses. I mean, even even when I'm being paid directly by a team, I'm not going to call the game, you know, 90, 10 in their favor. You know, at best it's going to be a 60, 40 broadcast, um, you know, cause I don't want to be that Homer guy. I don't want to be the guy whose team can never do anything wrong and who are, you know, angels on the ice and every penalty against them is a blown call by the referee. That's, that's garbage to me. That's not broadcasting. That's being a fan with a microphone. Uh, and that's not, what I want to do. And that's not who I am as a broadcaster. So you said credibility that leans in there. Um, if the message was, was still, no, we want you to do this. Uh, you know, it would be a case of, you know, do I have that credibility to spend? Do I have those brownie points? Um, you know, what are the consequences of this? And, and it would be a decision based on there and it would probably lean towards just doing it. Um, because it's, it's at the end of the day, uh, that's not who I am as a broadcaster. Uh, I'm not a homer. Um, you know, I, I try very hard to, to learn about the opposition, to, to educate fans and listeners on the opposition uh, who are tuning in from a, a perspective of, of the team I work for. Uh, and that's just kind of who, who I am and, and who I try to be as a broadcaster. So, um, you know, it would be a conversation that would happen long before the microphone went live. And, uh, you know, the, the decision on what to do would kind of be based on that feedback, but it wouldn't be something I'd be happy with. 
One of the things I've been interested in asking you, since you are from you know Canada and you came from Australia, you have um, experience in radio in places where I am not very familiar with. Is there a difference between the way the medium is ran and the way things operate in commercial radio in other countries as compared to the United States, or is it basically the same thing, uh, only different? Uh, you'll have to forgive my ignorance here because I'm not familiar on the u.s side of things much as i'm sure you're you're unfamiliar with, with the canadian side i'm not overly familiar with the u.s side of things and the way things operate um so i'll, I'll preface this answer with you know i'm i'm relying on you know my experience in terms of you know seeing job postings talking with people in american radio um and, and things like that and i wasn't involved in media when i left australia when i was 15 so um I think that, I mean, there's obviously an incredible amount of volume in the US. I mean, I don't know of a city in Canada where you would be broadcasting, uh, you know, high school women's basketball or, you know, uh, uh, boys varsity baseball or, or basketball or, or whatnot. Uh, I, I don't think that would happen in Canada. I mean, I think the broadcasting opportunities, hockey uh, starts at the junior level, uh, one level kind of below, uh, one or two levels below where I was uh, for, for five years and kind of goes up from there. Uh, baseball is, is more or less triple a and up and there's only a handful of teams there there's not too many baseball opportunities certainly of regularity and, and definitely not of uh you know um uh regular paying or full-time paid jobs uh and things like that there's only a handful of baseball broadcasters i know basketball's nearly non-existent in football i mean it's the canadian football league uh, maybe a little bit of high school uh, or university around the Vanier Cup, uh, which um, coincides with the Grey Cup, Canadian Football Super Bowl. Um, you know, so so I think the volume is the biggest thing. I mean, a lot of the sports that I see covered from you know guys I network with on Facebook and stuff, I just don't think it would be an opportunity that presents itself uh, in Canada. Um, you know, so I think the volume is a big thing, and I think that translates into wonderful opportunities uh, for. Uh, American sportscasters to say, hey, my high school has a pretty good, you know, team this year. Uh, you know, I want to call some basketball games. Let's let's do this. Uh, whereas in Canada, I don't think you would get that same opportunity. And that's that's a very that's a very layman's uh, view of the American system. And, and I could be completely off base on that. But, um, you know, I certainly think volume creates opportunities and uh, the States has that. Canada doesn't necessarily have that. I mean, the, the high school here has some pretty good sports teams, but there's never really been any talk of, of broadcasting any of them. I've, I've kind of approached them. Uh, I know the principal quite well a couple of times, and, and there's not really an appetite uh, to do that, certainly from a radio standpoint. I mean, if anything, it would be kind of like a free online situation. So um, definitely more more flexibility in advertising, definitely more flexibility in volume of opportunities in the States uh, compared to north of the 48th parallel. So you mentioned earlier that you know you're like most of us you're doing sportscasting as a part-time passion and you have to have full-time jobs or other jobs on the side what mm -hmm. are some of the jobs have you that you've had have you had any unusual ones <laughs> sorry it's going to be a long this list this must sorry, be continue. a good answer <laughs> it's going to be a very very long list um uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I apologize, but I just I was chuckling because I knew where the question was going. Um, since I moved to Power River, I've been in Power River uh, since 2011. I've had uh, half a dozen jobs, half a dozen full-time or, or very high part-time jobs in addition to sportscasting. So when I first moved to Powell River, uh, my focus was on on sportscasting, uh, but I picked up uh, a part-time job for about 20, 25 hours a week with the local uh, Sears hometown store, which is just kind of a, a mini Sears store, uh, and I was their delivery driver. So I was driving a big cube truck uh, and, and installing and delivering you know, fridges and ovens and washing machines and beds and stuff like that. So I did that for a while. Uh, that transitioned into my first summer there where I worked at the local ferry terminal, uh, selling tickets and loading boats there uh, and doing some great graveyard shifts through the summer that translated into working at the radio station uh, for 18 months when an opportunity came up there uh, that ended in uh, March of 2014 
uh, late February uh, 2014 uh, when I left the station and I went back to the ferry terminal after the playoffs had ended. Uh, so I worked at the ferry terminal for another summer. And then when that contract ended, I moved into uh, a sign shop uh, where I designed, did graphic design uh, for a, a local sign and graphic shop. And then that ended last June. And now I'm uh, doing a video and digital marketing for a friend of mine who's a real estate agent in town. So um, a little bit of a, a hodgepodge of employment to kind of support my, my sports casting habit. Any situations where your employer and your sportscasting job maybe overlapped and weren't flexible where it was difficult to get something done? Uh, very much so. And out of all of those jobs, uh, the one that was the least flexible was the radio station I worked at. And they also happened to be the host broadcaster of, of the team. Um, you know, How they were possible? flexible in a way that I was, uh, I was permitted to do the games. Uh, they never really questioned me when I left to do the games. Uh, however, it was always a fight and it was always kind of held over my head a little bit to say, Hey, we're letting you do this. You need to do X, Y, and Z for us. Uh, and it was always a fight. Um, you know, I was always, uh, never asked to, but it was always sort of required that I would cover my absence myself in terms of providing content for the next day. I was working as a, a news reporter there, so it was about trying to source stories and, and line up interviews for the remaining staff behind to kind of cover my absence because the station here was three people. So if I left, uh, it, it came to the remaining staff and, and staff at sister stations in the region uh, to kind of, you know, do my newscasts and, and, and source my material and stuff like that. So there are often days where, you know, I would not work on a Friday, for example, when we hit the road, but I'd still be on my phone. I'd still be on email through the day trying to source everything. And there are a number of times where we come back, we travel through the night, Sunday, get into town, probably about noon on Monday after playing three games in two and a half days, traveling all three days. Uh, and I go to work at, at noon and, and work five hours after having slept on a bus the night before while it was traveling through the Rockies. So um, out of all of them, uh, the, the, the least flexible was probably the radio station, um, just in terms of their resistance, I think, to um, you know what I was doing. And I think if it was a situation where I, I was working at the station, um, and then wanted to pick up the games. Like if I wasn't broadcasting, I had a job at the station, uh, and I wanted to, uh, broadcast the games. I don't think they would have let me do it. Um, I think it was only permitted and it was only continued because I made it a condition of my employment. And I said, I'm doing this. I'm not giving it up. You guys want to hire me. You do it knowing this, um, you know, the, the sign shop, it was never a question for me to leave, even for practices. Um, you know, my job now, um, you know, doesn't conflict with hockey at the moment, but it was, it's no question either. Um, fairies was during the summer, but they worked really well in terms of uh, training camp around August. Um, you know, so it was, it was never an issue. So do you have plans to get back into covering a hockey team on a regular basis instead of just picking up occasional freelance gigs? Uh, plans in terms of I'd like to do it down the line, um, but not plans in terms of, you know, next summer I'm going to be broadcasting hockey. Um, you know, no plans to leave the town that we're in right now. I uh, just bought a house uh, in, in the fall, so uh, still kind of settling into that, and that's obviously a pretty big and, and long-term commitment. So no plans to move, and, and obviously with one hockey team uh, in town, um, you know, that opportunity is limited and that opportunity is taken and it's taken by a guy who's very talented and who's done an excellent job this year. Um, you know, and people have asked me that, Hey, would you come back? Would you come back? Et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the response is, you know, if an opportunity comes up organically, i.e., you know, the, the current broadcaster decides to pursue another opportunity elsewhere and, and the position becomes vacant, then yeah, we'll take a look at it. Um, but it's, it's not in my nature to just say, Hey, I'm going to take a break for a year have him warm my seat and then me say, all right, I'm back, move aside. Um, that's not who I am and that's not who I try to be professionally uh, as well. So, um, yeah, plans. I mean, I'm definitely not done with sports casting. I'm not, um, you know, I still consider myself a sports caster, uh, just uh, taking a bit of a pause at the moment. And that was the biggest, biggest thing I had to come to grips with is, is the fact that it wasn't, uh, me leaving sports casting in, in 2016, it was me taking a bit of a pause and just reevaluating and, and re-energizing myself um, to come back bigger and better next time. 
So let's get into your website now a little bit. It's uh, sportscasterlife.com, and it gives you kind of a outlet to really talk about sportscasting and network with sportscasters and stuff like that while your uh, hockey career is on pause. Where did you come up with the idea, and how has the process of building it gone for you? It uh, it started very selfishly uh, in April 2012 uh, after my first season with the Kings. I'd found myself kind of through the year constantly searching for resources and searching for uh, information to help me do my job better, searching for spotting board templates, searching for, you know, vocab, searching for clips on guys who are in pro and, and stuff like that. And it was often really hard to find. And, and I was not good about bookmarking things. And, and I'd find myself searching for the same stuff over and over and over and over again. And I thought, well, if I'm searching for it, chances are other people are as well. Um, so I began uh, the Broadcaster Hub and, and I'd done a little bit of uh, freelance web design in the past for some small business. So I created uh, a word, uh, a, a website uh, and was able to um, kind of begin collecting this material. And that initial incarnation, it sort of, it was, it would start off and, and it would be very, very forefront in my mind, sort of April, May, June, and then summer would come around and I kind of forget about it. And then September would come around and I would get busy and then it kind of trailed off. And then the pattern would refresh the following April, um, or, or March. So that kind of continued for a few years, but it was just an idea that, that I could never shake. Uh, and then, uh, about a year and a half ago, I decided to, to really make a push. Uh, my, my last season, I uh, began plans in about September, um, began kind of working on the website in October and targeted a, uh, a, a January 2016 launch uh, of a rebrand. And it was important to rebrand because Broadcaster Hub had, had turned into a bit of a, like, it was a website that claimed to be an authority on the subject from a person who was in the same place as its audience. And, and it, the, the way that the article that I had written the articles and it wasn't intended, but it was, it was, it was written in a way that I was trying to teach people when in actuality I was learning as well and continue to do so. So I really didn't like the tone of the website and the way that it had evolved over the three years. So I made a very concerted effort to change the tone and, and blog and use personal stories from, from my career and use personal stories of me learning. And so the tone, it was a deliberate change to say, okay, I'm learning, you're learning, let's learn together. And, and here are resources that have helped me. This is what I got out of them. Um, you know, maybe it'll help you. So that's where Sportscaster Life came from. Um, and it's been what, 15 months now. Um, and it's, it's grown, grown really nicely, um, grown month over month. And, uh, it's, 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 I get nice little emails as I'm sure you do with, with say the damn score. Uh, it's another fantastic resource on sports casting. And when you get those emails to say, Hey, you know, thank you for this. I really needed it. Or, you know, this is a great resource. Um, you know, so glad I found it or I love reading or in your case, obviously listening, um, you know, to your work, uh, you know, it makes it all worth it. And, and it's, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where the focus is at the moment is, you know, generating, uh, you know, sourcing, creating and, and, and all around distributing and, and communicating a lot of resources, um, you know, made by sportscasters for sportscasters and, and having that, uh, that resource out there for people who, you know, are not only in my shoes now, but who are in my shoes five years ago, six years ago, when I applied and got a job that I had no business getting and I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. So, um, you know, it's helped me in my career, everything on that website I've, I've used, I've read, I've watched, I've listened to, and I've gotten something out of it. Um, you know, and I hope it's the same for other people as well. You mentioned trying to learn things and going through experiences of learning things. What are some of those things that you've learned over that time frame? I think prep is the big one, uh, learning what is effective prep. And, and prep is prep is both my favorite and my least favorite thing about sports casting. And it's my favorite because I find it incredibly satisfying to be able to dig into research and to be able to dig into the histories of players and find those unique facets and, and, and use those effectively on a broadcast. And and in running Sportscaster Life, it's become one of my most hated things 
because it's almost kind of like this buzzword sometimes and people are like, I've got to spend, you know, 10 hours on prep for this high school game, um, you know, that I'm doing online. And it's like, no, you know, it's, it's not, it's not how long you spend on prep. It's how effective it is. I mean, you can spend 10 hours finding some obscure stat on, you know, this, you know, this, this, you know, bench player in a basketball game, but is it going to be effective? Is it going, is it an effective use of your time? And in a situation when I was working with a team to say, you know, that we were doing three games in two and a half days and I'm balancing a full-time job. uh, The biggest thing I think I've learned is, is to, to be effective in my prep and to utilize my time well, um, you know, and, and have that ability to, um, you know, find good stuff and know that I'm going to be able to use it, or at least it's, it's going to be relevant to my situation. Um, you know, so I think that's the biggest thing is just, is just time management. I mean, everything that I did in my first year, you know, it takes me half as long to do now because I've been able to streamline things and I've been able to find better resources and I've been able to, to, to know what I'm going to, to use in a broadcast and what I'm not going to use and, and how I'm going to disseminate the information that I collect through the week. So, um, that's been the biggest thing for me in terms of, of what I've learned is just the ability to, to prep effectively and to not spend, it's like word economy. I mean, you know, sportscasters talk a lot about word economy, right? You don't want to use 10 words when three will do, you know, I'm not going to spend 10 hours when three hours will do to prep for a weekend. Um, you know, and that's, I don't think, I hope that doesn't come across as being lazy. Um, you know, I think it comes across as, as being smart and, and just knowing what I'm going to use, know the message I want to try and convey, um, you know, know my situation, you know, and know that I'm using my time wisely. Can you give us an example of something that helped to streamline your prep process? Uh, yeah, uh, using Microsoft Excel uh, has um, revolutionized my prep. I mean, you think of, and this is, goes back to the, the 10 hours versus the three hours. Um, you know, a lot of that time when I was starting out was spent collecting standings, leading scores, uh, rosters, player numbers, special team statistics, head-to-head statistics, all of these things, which are numbers and are on the website. I had to go through each page and write them down and then put them into a spotting board or a sheet template that I had. And I was after, I was after my first season, I thought, I'm like, there's surely got to be a better way. And, and I dug into Excel and, and I found some really great techniques in there where I was able to, um, you know, generate uh, this, this, I call it my one sheet. And it's inspired by Boston Bruins announcer Jack Edwards um, on some photos that uh, he had online in a um, NESN uh, article. And it was basically uh, this, this very coded Excel spreadsheet that, um, integrated a lot of data entry that he did, and then a lot of information that you can pull from the website. And the great thing about Excel is, if you've got the re- if you've got the the source or a, an acceptable source, you can paste the link in, and it'll automatically pull tables worth of data, which is all sports statistics are, um, you know. And then you can manipulate them, you can formulate them, you can calculate with them, and you can generate these wonderful things. So I got to a point after developing this this Excel spreadsheet for a couple of years, um, you know, where I was able to to, to load up this document, hit one button, and it would automatically refresh the information. So it would pull the latest standings. It would pull the latest leading scorers, the special teams information, the head-to-head statistics. And then with a little bit of manual data entry after every game, I had this really good complete look on this one one piece of paper that I print out for every game, you know, that would give me the top 20 scorers. It'd give me a detailed standings for all three divisions. It'd give me head-to-head special team statistics. Uh, You know, my data entry tracked things like player streaks, um, you know, uh, situational scoring, you know, so if my team would win when leading after 40 minutes worth of play or after two periods, um, you know, time spent leading in a game versus divisional teams and, and things like that. So it got me a chance to that's how I streamlined it. It wasn't necessarily streamlining the volume of research I did. It was finding a way to streamline the mundane stuff and and the monotonous stuff that every guy does before every game. You know, instead of spending two hours trolling through websites, it was it was a one second click, um, you know, a three second refresh and five seconds to print the piece of paper. Um, and that's really the biggest thing I've been able to take away. Uh, over the last few years is perfecting that technique and the ability to, um, you know, to, to streamline what I'm doing game to game. 
I meant to get into this more and probably a little bit deeply than we have time to at this point as we've almost uh, taken you up to an hour and I usually try to finish it up once we get close to there. But, you know, we've only had, you're the second hockey broadcaster that we've had on the podcast. What would your tips for doing hockey well be? Yeah, I think the biggest thing in terms of doing hockey for the first time, um, you know, is is letting the game come to you and not trying to not trying to say too much. I mean, I did it when I started. I still do it to, to some occasion, but it's a case of, um, you know, not trying to say every little thing that happens. I mean, when you compare it to baseball and basketball, um, you know, to a lesser extent, I mean, basketball has its faster moments, but it's generally a slower sport compared to hockey. You know, certainly football, you've got the time before each play to, to set everything up and baseball is, is, I mean, one big long conversation. Uh, you've, you've got plenty of times to talk and, and you've got plenty of times to say 10 words when maybe three will do. Hockey's not necessarily like that. I think, you know, you've got a word economy is the biggest thing, but you've, you've got to let the game come to you and you've got to know when you can cut down and it comes with experience and it just comes with repetition. I mean, instead of, you know, saying, Hey, Jones at the left point, passes it over to the right point there for Smith and Smith, he winds up and he scores, you know, instead of saying 20 words, you know, it can be Jones, left point, slides, right side, Smith, winds, scores, right? I mean, that's half the words, but it, it conveys the exact same message. It creates, you know, that, that picture in the mind of the listener, you know, you know exactly where the puck is, you know exactly who's got it. And you know it winds up in the back of the net, but it's half the words. So word economy is the biggest thing in hockey in terms of uh, keeping up with the pace of the play, uh, using your voice as an instrument. I mean, that's a tool in all sports casting, but I think hockey, you know, it can be incredibly useful because, you know, on a rush up the ice, your voice can convey that the puck is moving up the ice quickly. You don't necessarily have to say it's moving up the ice. Um, you know, you can kind of take your audience on, on a roll there. So I think that's it. Just, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta be, ha- have word economy. You gotta make sure you know the rules, um, you know, know it as, as good as a referee does. I mean, you gotta be able to kind of see when plays develop and, and when penalties occur and things like that. Like you just gotta be able to uh, recognize those situations. Cause that'll help you out as well. I mean, there's nothing worse than having something happen on the ice and, uh, it happened to me actually during the provincials. There's one situation which occurred, which ended up actually being a referee uh, mistake. But I was, uh, you know, I was a little bit lost because I didn't really understand what was going on. It turned out I was in the right, and the ref had made a mistake. And you know, we dealt with that afterwards as well. I mean, that's you know, or after the incident, we just said, hey, you know, there was a mistake on the ice. That's kind of why we were a little bit, you know, wishy-washy on air. But uh, you know, this is what happened. This is what should have happened. So know your stuff, know your rules, uh, and just work on word economy. And I know that's a very ironic answer considering I've spoken about it for a while, but know when to, when to say just three words and, and know when to be quiet, know when to let the crowd tell the story, um, you know, and, and ultimately just, just understand the game and understand how to communicate what you want to communicate in the most efficient way possible. Doing junior hockey, you mentioned lots of travel, especially in Canada, in a Powell River where things were isolated. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of places weren't necessarily set up to be convenient for broadcasters. Give us a couple of, uh, you're familiar with the podcast, of some of the broadcast horror stories that you've gone through <laughs> in your career. I've been pretty lucky. Um, I haven't gone into a situation which has... Um, being uh, completely foreign. I mean, the working in the league, a lot of the teams have been in the league multiple years. They've got broadcast set up. So, you know, I've never had to do it from a card table in the stands, for example. Um, you know, so I've been fairly lucky. Uh, the Nicola Valley Memorial Arena in Merritt, British Columbia is the smallest rink, uh, certainly at the junior A level in British Columbia, if not one of the smallest rinks in BC, period. Uh, its visitors broadcast booth was this old, or still is this old wooden gondola that you had to, to go up this, um, you know, almost spiral staircase, which was built for someone, you know, about half my size, um, to, to try and squeeze up there with bags. So you kind of throw everything up there. Uh, you jump up there, every step you take, it creaks and you think you're going to fall through it. But the biggest thing in, in, in merit was until about a year and a half, two years ago, there were a line of heaters, for the people in the stands 
uh, running down the rink. And the booth was set up as such that you could not see about a third of the ice down the far end. So there are a number of times where I, I get caught, a puck would go into that blind spot, and then all of a sudden it's in the back of the net. Guys converge in that blind spot on the guy who scored the goal, and I have no idea who's gotten that goal. And you kind of have to fudge it and see who's leading the rush down the bench uh, for the high fives after the goal. So you kind of go in that way, and then you wait for the announcement. So that's kind of probably the, the biggest, I guess, horror story um in terms of a broadcast setup i mean there's been situations where eye lines haven't or uh, sight lines part of me haven't been great you know there's been situations where uh opposing staff haven't been great uh but i think compared to some of the other horror stories that you've had um i don't think uh mine will rank too highly up there well we'll let that slide just this once <laughs> um that's just about it uh I'll give you a minute to tell people what's coming up on your website, sportscasterlife.com, and let people know how to get a hold of you if they have any questions. Sportscasterlife.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at SportscastLife. Uh, find us on Facebook uh, under SportscasterLife. Uh, what's coming up in April right now? Big focus is uh, obviously on baseball season, so we're going to do uh, some baseball stuff. We're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks um, the uh, teams making their own opportunities. And we talked a little bit about this about freelancing earlier on, but it's it's becoming a trend all around the world, and particularly with things like uh, you know YouTube, Facebook Live, things like that. Um, you know, teams creating their own opportunities and not having to rely on you know the ESPNs or the Foxes or the TSNs and Sportsnets up here in Canada. Um, so it creates opportunities for sportscasters to link directly with teams as opposed to going through TV or radio stations and networks. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, obviously, a lot of baseball resources as stuff uh, begins to, to head up. Uh, we do have a ton of resources on the website uh, already. If you go to sportscasterlife.com slash downloads, tons of spotting boards, roster sheets, lineup sheets, notes, uh, everything there to help you kind of get started. So if you are getting into sportscasting this year, if you're wanting to kind of shake things up and, and refine some prep, there are some great examples uh, which have been shared by some fantastic sportscasters all around the world. And uh, we're happy to provide them sportscasterlife.com. Oh, and also the podcast library. Uh, I will say the podcast library, if you love the Say the Damn Score podcast, um, which is featured as the top podcast on our podcast library, Hooray. if you're looking for other listens about uh, sportscasting, uh, one of my favorites is uh, the Voice Behind the Voice podcast. Sean Aronson does a great job there. Uh, but there are a lot of other sportscasting-themed podcasts uh, which cover a lot of the similar topics and some different ones that, that Logan does with here. So you can find that uh, in the podcast library, uh, which is available on the website uh, as well. So check it out. If I was doing a radio show, this would be bad, but I'm going to make that a false ending because something that you said in that process gave me another question I wanted to ask you before we go. And I know you wrote an article about doing a baseball game when you really had no familiarity with the sport mm -hmm. uh, as an Australian and Canadian. It's not something that you had any interest in, but you had an opportunity. How did you end up making that work? It was uh, a lot of uh, faking it until I made it. Um, I, you know, I, I had a working knowledge of baseball. Uh, I mean, as much as I'm sure you have, you know, a working knowledge of hockey, not broadcasting and whatnot. I know you've done a couple of games, but, um, you know, it's, as you said off the top, you know, you're focused baseball and basketball. Um, you know, for me, baseball, baseball is, is a curious sport. It's, it's tough for me to get involved in, um, during the regular season. I, I have a lot of trouble investing myself into a game, um, that if my team loses, they've only got a 161 other chances to win a game. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's a very long and tedious regular season. And I find it very difficult to get invested, uh, in the baseball at the major levels. That being said, there is nothing more addictive on this planet than playoff baseball. Um, I will not watch a game all regular season and then I'll be flicking through the channels and all of a sudden it's, a playoff game between two teams. I have no idea who's on either side. And all of a sudden, three, four hours have gone by and I've watched the entire game. Um, so there is something magnetizing about playoff baseball. Uh, that being said, in terms of broadcasting it, uh, it, it came back to what I said earlier about uh, broadcasting hockey. You know, know the rules, um, you know, understand as best you can what's happening. Um, you know, and, and for me with baseball, I, I stuck to the mechanics of it. You know, I called balls and strikes. I, I called ball positioning, field positioning. 
I gave batter stats, pitcher stats. I, I took care of the mechanics and the guy that I was working with through most of the games, he was heavily involved in local baseball in Prince George at the time and, and, and may still be. I haven't been in touch with him for quite a while. So he was able to fill in a lot of those details that I just simply couldn't. Um, so I, I made sure I stuck to the mechanics. I, I learned a bit of the lingo uh, and I was able to, you know, I listen back to it every once in a while and, and I think it's a possible job. Am I a baseball broadcaster? No, not by a long shot. And I mean, there are a lot of avenues that I'm certain I missed and, and a lot of things I'm certain I got wrong during that tournament. Um, you know, but, but I'm happy with kind of how it went and, and I was able to sort of, you know, fake it until I made it for a week, um, calling a couple of games. But that goes back to another question you asked about freelance opportunities. Um, the, the tournament director back in 2009, who was running the tournament, uh, he was a sports editor at the newspaper that I knew through a friend of a friend. And I emailed him and I'm like, hey, Jim, I'd love to come and just sit in behind the broadcast and, and watch, just kind of see how you guys do things. Um, you know, would that be okay if I came down for one or two games? And he responded back and he's like, yep, would you like to do a few games? And I'm like, well, I've never done it before, but I'll give it a shot. I wound up calling six, including the championship game. Um, you know, so that's a way that's, that's a, a lesson. I mean, send the email. The worst you can hear is no. Um, you know, the best you can hear is sure. Come on down. And all of a sudden you call more games than anyone else at the tournament. How did you go about learning the vocabulary and learning the ins and outs, or did you just, uh, I mean, you said that you faked it, but some things you can't fake. You have to have some mm-hmm. knowledge. Yeah. Um, uh, went to Google and typed in Vince Gully. And I mean, I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of great resources. There's a lot of great videos. Um, you know, I, I watched a lot of baseball in the weeks leading up to it. Um, you know, I, I learned about pacing and going back to what I said earlier about relating football to hockey i was able to relate cricket to baseball i mean they're both slow sports they're both very similar they're 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 cousin sports in terms of the way that they've evolved over you know 100 plus years um you know kind of stemming from from a, a, a same sport down the line um so it was it was a case of relating what i knew through there versus what you know imitating sort of what i'd seen on tv uh, versus what i'd learned in my research and, and working and it was just a case of you know understanding the vocabulary um you know watching a lot of in scully uh seeing how he went about things knowing the pacing knowing the timing and and just going into a situation being like look i'm not going to be an authority figure here i'm going to i'm going to be the mechanic i'm going to deliver the statistics and i'm going to rely on the guy that's sitting next to me um you know to fill in that information all right this time we're really done no more false endings <laughs> we're not the lord of the rings here but, um, oh we don't want to we don't want a three-part trilogy with me there's not too much more <laughs> you, you you've uh you've done a lot more than scratch the surface you've gone deep deep into the life and career of alex ronsley so there's not a whole lot left to talk about well i sure appreciate you taking some time again we're talking with alex ronsley he is the operator of sportscasterlife.com a junior hockey broadcaster at Powell River, British Columbia, Canada. And Alex, thanks for joining me. It was a good one. Logan, thank you so much. Um, you know, you know, I've been a big fan of the website uh, for, for a long time, and obviously the podcast uh, that goes along with that. Uh, it's it's a fantastic resource, and, and uh, the work that you've done over the last, you know, 12, 12 months, and then obviously before that as well, getting everything ready. Um, you know, it's a great addition to uh, to our, our sphere of, of influence here in sports casting. And, and uh, I hope everybody that, that visits, whether it's the, the, the blueprints, um, you know, the, the self-improvement techniques, or even just your stories uh, on the podcast and written, um, it's a great ad for uh, aspiring and, and current professional sports casters as well. So congratulations on, on the last 12, 18 months uh, from your side as well. Well, thank you very much. If everybody is Uh, made it this far. We want to thank you for listening. Uh, Those of you who are already subscribing, thank you for subscribing. But if you're not subscribing yet, you can, of course, subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Google Play Music. You can get email updates on SayTheDamnScore.com. Just click on the red button on the top right part of the page. You can follow me at Twitter at Radio underscore Logan, or you can go on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SayTheDamnScore. That's going to be it for today. I'm Logan Anderson. Next time you're on the air, say the damn score just a little bit more.